Dan Rhymes once sang, um, or there or thereabouts. So welcome. Uh, we're going to continue our Unstoppable God series this morning, looking at the healing miracles through the Gospels of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, those eyewitness accounts of the life and times of Jesus. I, I thought some of the, the words, the prophetic words that were brought this morning were so helpful. Uh, particularly appreciated that word that Sim uh, brought at the end. We've, we've really felt as we've prayed and begun this uh, series in the Gospels that it is an opportunity for God to take ordinary lives like ours, whatever our story has been so far, and begin to write new pages, new chapters, uh, new stories of kingdom courage in our lives as we step forward together. As we say, yeah, here I am, Lord, whatever's gone before, I can't do anything about that now, but from this point on, would you use me? for the sake of your kingdom uh, and your glory. So I thought it was a really helpful word this morning. Um, and, and today we encounter the first, um, we, we've hit the first encounter that Jesus has uh, with demonic spirits. Let me just read to you from Luke chapter 4. And I've put this too low now to be able to read from under my glasses. Um, Luke chapter 4 verse 31. If you haven't got a Bible, um, it'll come up on the screen. But bring one next week. It's always great to have your Bible with you at church um, and to read it in the week as well. Luke chapter 4, verse 31. Then Jesus went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath, uh, that was their, their Saturday, the Lord's Day, day set aside for worship and rest, on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, he cried out at the top of his voice, Ha, what do you want with us, Jesus, son of Nazareth? Have you, Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. There we go. It's not my beard rustling against the microphone, that's for sure. Let me just get that out of the way now. Um, all the people were amazed and said to each other, what is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we have rightly welcomed your presence amongst us this morning. And Jesus, where you are present amongst your people, anything can happen, Lord. We welcome your authority in our lives this morning. We thank you for what you're already doing. And we pray right now over these next few minutes, not only would you teach us through your word, but you would open our hearts uh, and establish your authority and root it in our lives in order that we may be changed and transformed and more and more like the kind of people that look and sound like they've been with Jesus. You're so welcome now to move uh, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we don't often um, in, in British churches uh, cover this kind of teaching on Sundays uh, in, the, in the UK on, on the demonic. We, I think probably for the Brits, we either avoid it because we're a bit uncomfortable about it it sounds a little bit out of sync with our so-called Western, modern, scientific thinking. Or maybe for some, they're a little bit fearful. Maybe don't have so much experience in this area and just don't want to touch on stuff that we're not sure about. But we have to say, when we look at the God of the Bible and the, the disciples of the Bible, this is part of the normal Christian experience. In a, in a few minutes' time, um, Kaz will lay a few foundations on this, this theme. 
Um, but really this morning is, is not kind of um, uh, a, a teaching on what the Bible says about the demonic. Indeed, when we, when we do teaching on this, normally we take a, a whole weekend or a few sessions over it. Um, what, we, what we're doing this morning is preaching this passage, which is always the right thing to do as you approach a passage of Scripture on a Sunday morning. But as we preach this passage, we'll learn some simple kingdom truths about this theme. Later on in this Unstoppable God series, we'll hit plenty of other stories where Jesus also meets people who are struggling uh, under demonic pressure. I I think as we hit those, they'll answer more of our questions. Uh, Cranfield, who sounds, uh, I think maybe C.S. Lewis was was influenced by him in the way that he wrote, uh, particularly his screw tape letters. Cranfield says, and this is true for those of us who are Brits, the greatest achievement of the powers of evil would be to persuade us that they don't even exist. Well, as we hit the Jesus of the New Testament, straight away uh, we need to be persuaded that the powers of evil do exist. The key to the story is in verse 32. The people were amazed at Jesus' teaching because his message had authority. Jesus taught them with authority, kingdom authority, the authority of the king. What we mean by this is that Jesus' authority derives from, comes from, comes out of, the fact that he already has ultimate rule. He's the king. He's God. He's come from God. He is God. And he's on a mission to establish the rule of God on the earth by seeing hearts changed, hearts like yours and mine. This kind of authority is so noticeable. It was noticeable in this story. It's still noticeable today. It's, it's not normal to see teaching with this kind of authority. In Mark's gospel account, his eyewitness account uh, in Mark's gospel, uh, he describes it, the people saying this is new teaching. Well actually the message Jesus was teaching wasn't a new message, they weren't new words. The, the big story of the Bible for those that, that knew uh, their Old Testament, not that they would have called it that at the time, has always been leading to this point where Jesus would break out the authority of God. What is new is, is the authority with which Jesus operates in amongst them as the Son of God. In, in his culture, actually, new teaching was frowned on. Uh, it's not true in every culture. If not long afterwards, we find the Apostle Paul in, in Athens, and he's in a marketplace of ideas. They give him a hearing for the gospel because they love to hear new ideas. They waste countless hours discussing pointless new ideas and theories and myths. But in, in Jesus' time, in their culture, um, in first century Israel, new teaching was frowned on. The Jewish rabbis or teachers took pride in their careful messages referencing all their predecessors, um, listing their precedents for the the reasons why they've come to the conclusions they've come to, going back, of course, in their mind to the law of God that was given by Moses. And so Jesus comes with this amazing new teaching for which the authority that he points back to and the precedents that he's building on are entirely of his own. Jesus went around pointing to himself, didn't he? He didn't point back to the rabbis that had gone before. He pointed to himself. He said, come to me. Uh, all you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest from the burden of the law and all the precedents that have gone before. No wonder the people would often exclaim uh, when Jesus was teaching. John 7.46 is a case in point. No one has ever spoken the way this man does. There was something remarkable about Jesus. Now, we need to acknowledge there is clearly a power that the enemy, the devil, or Satan has, and there's clearly a power that his evil spirits uh, or demonic spirits have. Just a little earlier on in Luke 4, in this story, we find Jesus being tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. He he receives personal temptation from Satan himself. That temptation is very real. And the temptation that Satan brought to him had very real power. 
And this man in this story that we find today, later on in Luke chapter 4, is very truly bound up by demonic oppression. So the enemy and evil spirits have real power. It's, it's most evident here in these stories. But Jesus' new authority is such a contrast to anyone who is bound up, to any other power. His authority, his power are greater. The way this story is even set up by Luke, after the comment uh, of the people on the authority of Jesus, after the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, is set up deliberately to teach us something, that we're going to find a new authority in Jesus that is greater and more powerful than any other authority that you might be tempted to come under. And Jesus' authority, I think that needs an amen, doesn't it? It does, because it's true. Um, Jesus' authority over the devil has already been established. Again, the flow of the story. Luke chapter 4 teaches us that. And just a top tip here, we're all growing as disciples of Jesus. When we read our Bibles, we don't just take a story or, or a verse or a line of Scripture out of context. It helps us to understand the flow of the story. The first few verses of Luke's Gospel are where Jesus, directly after his baptism in water, uh, and it seems the Holy Spirit came on him, and that's what we expect next week when we baptize new believers, baptized in water, receiving the Holy Spirit. Directly after that, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus um, resisted this temptation of the devil in the wilderness. Instead, he chose to please his heavenly Father. And verse 13 of Luke chapter 4 tells us that at the end of those three temptations, the devil departed from him. Friends, I can tell you whether you're a new disciple or an old disciple like me, the life of a disciple is a simple act of obedience to Jesus Christ. Jesus was obedient in baptism. We want to be obedient in baptism like Jesus was. Jesus was obedient to his Father in saying no to temptation. I'm going to trust my Heavenly Father for a better way, for his provision. And so we are obedient to our Heavenly Father like Jesus in saying no to temptation. And Jesus was obedient in living out the mission of his father that we find opening up in later on in Luke chapter 4 as Jesus unrolls the scroll and says, this is why I'm here, because the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the prisoners free. In the same way, we are obedient to the mission of Jesus as he writes his story in and through our lives. I think, here's just an aside before Kaz comes up, many Christians who struggle with obedience to the gospel in their lives are perhaps those who struggle with that first step of obedience in baptism. If you struggle with getting baptised, it should be no surprise that you struggle perhaps in other areas of obedience in your life that follow. In the same way, after our baptism, we're supposed to grow in spiritual authority, the kinds of things we see in the life of Jesus here, in our confidence to overcome temptation with the word of God, saying no to sin, going out with the mission of Jesus in the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's a direct link between baptism between being filled with the Spirit uh, and, and between going out in the power of the Spirit on the mission of Jesus. So, Jesus has a new authority, not just in his words. It's great to have powerful words, but Jesus demonstrates his authority in action as well. Are these words of Jesus true? Are they just impressive, but they'll fall away? Well, let's look at what happens and we can judge for ourselves. Yeah? Okay. Hello, everybody. I am going to uh, take a little bit of time now to have a look at verse 33 and give a little bit of background that hopefully will help us a little bit to understand a little bit more of what's going on in this passage and what it actually means for us today. So it's, it says, In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon 
an evil spirit. We've got a word here in this verse that we don't actually use very much today. That what does that word possessed actually mean? Now, I don't claim to be a Greek scholar, uh, but in the original Greek translation, uh, there is a word that we have uh, developed from there, and it's the word demonized. And this word is one that we may actually recognize. And to be demonized, it means to behave under the control or influence of a demon or an evil spirit. Now, there's another word that's also developed out of the original Greek for possessed, and that word is dominion. Dominion, we understand to mean dominance or superiority or control. Okay, so let's go back to our passage. We meet a man who is demonized. So now we can understand that he's being dominated or controlled by an evil spirit. But hey, hang on, here we are. We're in Crawley. It's 2017, and it's very possible to be thinking that this sort of stuff only happened in the days of Jesus. Not here, not now, come on. Our worldview may say, people in history, they didn't have enough knowledge. They didn't know enough about science or about medicine. We understand today. Or actually, we may just consider the people of the Bible, they were ignorant, they didn't get it. But the biblical worldview is quite different to our modern Western view. Actually, if you're sitting here, having lived or spent time in Africa or in Asia, you might not have any troubles with this sort of stuff. You might be sitting quite comfortably. So it is actually vital that we read this account through what God teaches, through the biblical worldview, and not what this world around us tells us. Because, you know, the Bible shows us that both the spiritual and the physical worlds are real. The physical, all that we can see, that we can touch, that we can smell, hear, and taste, they're real. We get that, don't we? That's an easy one. But so, too, is the spiritual world that we don't always see. We can't always touch or smell. But the Bible shows us that it is real. And as we read through the Bible, we can actually see that some sicknesses can be caused either by the physical or the spiritual worlds. So um, if you had a look in John chapter 10 and verse 20, it speaks of a man who today we might actually describe as having mental health issues. And in the biblical account, you can have a read that actually these behaviors are attributed to demonic influences. Okay, but hang on a minute. This doesn't suggest that every similar condition must therefore be caused by the demonic. Because you can read in other accounts, 
through scripture where the gospels use examples of the physical world causing sickness. So what we must do is watch out for our worldview. Does it clash with what the Bible teaches us? Because if so, we must not explain things away, but instead we must get in line with the truth of God. So let's just take a couple of minutes just to understand who the devil is, because we don't often talk about him, and we shouldn't be preoccupied, but let's just take a couple of minutes, because this might actually clash with your worldview too. Um, The Bible uses various names for the devil, and it does definitely teach that there is a living devil who is head of many evil spirits. Now, he is not equal to God. We must understand that. There is not a 50-50 battle between good and evil. Where we might not be certain of who the victor is, we can be certain of who the victor is. This is because the devil has limited authority and Jesus has all authority. We can learn throughout scripture that the devil has already been beaten. He's already been beaten by Jesus. That was when he died on the cross and he rose again to life. Jesus beat death and sin at that point. But hang on, we know that the devil is still fighting on. He's fighting on a little bit longer. And he knows his time is limited. But his aim, his aim is to steal, to kill and destroy as many lives as he can. The devil knows that Jesus has promised to return, you see. He knows. And so he wants to claim as many, to steal away as many as he can. And he know, the devil knows that when Jesus returns, he will be destroyed, he will be crushed, he will be no more. So until that day, we need to be aware. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11 says, we shouldn't be unaware of the devil's schemes. There's quite a lot of negatives in, the, in there, isn't there? So in other words, we must be aware. We must have our eyes open to the sly ways of the devil, that he is out to lie to us. And he is out to destroy. And do you know, Steve mentioned it earlier, one of his sly ways is to lie that he doesn't even exist. It's important to note that being aware doesn't mean that we're preoccupied. We must be informed. We must be informed to avoid the enemy's traps. But our preoccupation must be on the Lord Jesus. We must be looking to Jesus all the time. We must be alert that the devil is our enemy. He is not our friend. He is not even neutral. He is our enemy. 
He wants to lure as many people away from God as he can. Because John 10.10 says, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. John 8 says he's called the father of lies. He will use as many ways to hold men and women in bondage, and ultimately, this is his goal, to hold them away from God. Now, if you wanted to hear a little bit more on all of that, then go on the internet on our, on our website, the church website, because Hank Kirsten, who came back at the end of last year to visit us here, he unpacks that a little bit further. But let's return to our passage in Luke chapter 4. Now, we don't actually know very much about this man. We're not given a huge amount of detail at all, actually. We don't know what caused him to be possessed by this evil spirit. But what we can do is actually apply other areas of biblical teaching to our own lives that will prevent the devil having any foothold or doorway into our lives where he could destroy us. The devil will use all sorts of areas of our lives. He will use the occult. He will use areas of sin in our lives. He'll get into our lives by our anger, our unforgiveness, our bitterness. And he will lie, he will control, he will manipulate, and he will crush our lives. We must also be aware and have our eyes open to the devil's ways and take note that all those people who are not followers of Jesus are outside the dominion of the kingdom of God and so therefore are under the dominion or control, remember that word, of the enemy, the devil. That's tough. You might be sitting there thinking, that's just not nice. But it's Colossians 1 verse 13 that says, For he, that's God, rescued us from the dominion of darkness. That's the devil's dominion. And he brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Wow. So as followers of Jesus Christ, we are rescued from the devil's dominion and authority. He no longer has authority over us as followers of Jesus. And we've been saved from the penalty of sin. So hang on. If we've been rescued then from the dominion or the control of darkness... Can we still come under the influence of the devil? Now, there's an American pastor. His name was John Wimber. And he was actually asked this question. Can a, can a Christian have a demon? His answer was, why would he want one? <laughs> Fair enough. So men and women who belong to Jesus Christ are still imperfect, aren't we? And we still have areas of our lives and our personalities that have not yet come under the full control of the Holy Spirit. 
So we can actually inadvertently or sometimes deliberately open up our lives to the devil to bring confusion and oppression and destruction. But let's not forget that it is Jesus who has all the authority. And as believers of Jesus, who are full of the Holy Spirit, we can be set free of the hold of the enemy by praying, by repenting, and being filled again by the Holy Spirit and living for Jesus. So looking back to this man in our passage, all we know about him was that he was under demonic influence. Now, it doesn't actually say whether it was his mind or his body that was sick. There's a comment that he was thrown to the ground, which could indicate uh, that it was some sort of fit. It might have been, it might not. We don't actually know. There's no conclusive evidence. But what we do know, what we can take hold of from this verse, is that when he came into contact with Jesus, the demon made himself known. John 1 verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. In the presence of Jesus, the demon manifests itself. He speaks. It can't hide. It seems a bit, uh, a bit strange that he would want to hide away from Jesus in order to carry on doing what he's doing and destructing, but he must come out. He must make himself obvious because in the presence of Jesus, the demon speaks. He actually uses the man's voice. So what would we do in this situation? Let's ground it in today. Firstly, we don't need to be experts. And we don't need to be fearful. 1 John 4 tells us the one who is in you, that's Jesus, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That's the devil. Jesus is greater. Jesus has all authority. And in Matthew 10, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he gives them authority. Jesus gives the disciples authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. We've read enough of the Bible, of the Gospels, to know that these disciples were not experts. We know that, don't we? They weren't experts. Now, we're disciples too. We don't have to be experts. What we must do is welcome the presence of Jesus. That's why we worship together. The Bible tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. To praise and worship, therefore, must be our priority. Have you ever thought it's just about singing words? It's just about making a nice noise together on a Sunday morning no, it's all about welcoming Jesus. It's all about the presence of Jesus. Because in Jesus-centered worship, freedom will come. The captives will be set free. People who are listening to the lies of the devil will be released. 
in the presence of Jesus, his authority will cause the demons to flee. Because as we said earlier, the light, who is Jesus, will overcome the darkness. So as we respond in worship later on, in a few minutes' time, remember we're not simply singing words, but we're welcoming the Lord Jesus. So we're going to uh, worship and make some room to pray and for Jesus to minister to us in a moment. Let's just finish the story. Go back a slide, guys, to this uh, verse 34 where the, the, the demon speaks to Jesus. You may have all kinds of questions that get stirred by what Cassie's just taught there. But this strange conversation in Luke 4, 34 and 35, I think rescues us from getting sidetracked by all those questions. We're reminded again, as we, as we said at the beginning, it's an authority issue. Um, remember in, earlier on in Luke 4 where Jesus un- opened the scroll of Isaiah, the prophecy about what the Messiah would do. Uh, and he said, I- I'm, I'm going to um, open the eyes of the blind, set the captives free, Luke 4, 18. Uh, then verse 21, he said, today, to the people looking and listening, today this scripture is fulfilled or this scripture is opened up in your hearing. What Jesus was saying is that from that point onward, because of his baptism, uh, his overcoming of temptation in the wilderness, his filling of the Holy Spirit back into Galilee and the power of the Spirit, it says, today this scripture is opened up. This, this era of the authority and the, the dominion, Kaz has used that word, of, of the king, this era of this dominion being exercised on the earth, it has now begun, where the rule of the king is present, with his rule and his reign breaking in and beginning to dominate uh, any old kingdom or old allegiance. Uh, must be disarmed in in the face of that. We see in this story, um, the evil spirits, they know who Jesus is. They know about his authority. They know about his kingdom plan. Here this evil spirit says through the man, have you come to destroy us? But as we've heard, you you would think their strategy would be to hide away. And Sometimes when we pray for people, we find that evil spirits will hide away. But where Jesus is really present, they can't hide away. It's a completely backfiring strategy. We can have real confidence. Uh, As we said, when Jesus is present, stuff just gets dealt with. And Jesus has declared he's come to set the captives free. His work on the cross, we've been singing about it this morning, means that, that, that this objective to set captives free has been decisively settled. Jesus has come not just to preach a hopeful solution to our dire spiritual problem, but he's come to bring the deliverance himself. Indeed, he is the redeemer through his work on the cross. We've sung this morning, his body bound, uh, thrown down in the tomb. He was bound, friends, so that we could be unbound by, from all the works of the enemy. Uh, Kaz quoted John 10.10, 10, the devil's strategy. He comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus goes on to say, but I have come that they may have life and life in all its fullness. The bound one breaks free those of us who are bound up because he's totally overcome uh, sin and death. 1 John 3.8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He doesn't just come to console us. He comes to destroy the devil's works. Colossians 2.15, speaking of Jesus, having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So the demon speaks to Jesus. Verse 35, uh, Jesus just says, be quiet. We've said that Jesus doesn't just have authority in his words, but his actions too. 
And he sets this captive free without any kind of struggle at all. It doesn't take months of pastoral care or counselling. Um, there's an authority that comes from Jesus' greater authority that breaks in and releases the man immediately. Be quiet. It literally means be muzzled. I, I get nervous around dogs. I've been chased by too many dogs and bitten by dogs. Every time I'm out running, it seems I've got to run later on today, I, I will get chased by a dog. It always seems to happen. It, it's quite frightening, actually, when it happens. Even though people say he's just being friendly, it's a bit scary. Okay? But imagine if a dog's leaping at you and it's got a muzzle on. Hey, it can leap all it likes. I, I've often shouted at dogs, be quiet! Uh, it doesn't seem to work, although sometimes it does, and it certainly scares the owners. Um, but imagine a dog leaping at you that has a muzzle. Hey, it can bark all it likes, but there's no opportunity for it to bite me and harm me. And Jesus says literally, be muzzled to this demonic spirit. He speaks in a stern voice, it says. There's no shouting, there's no weird behaviour. It's not at all like in any of the movies you may have seen, or even like those that did exorcism in Jesus' day with all kinds of strange magic and incantations. The command of Jesus, the living word, is enough to silence the demon. He is Lord. The, the evil spirit has no right to remain when Jesus speaks. Our suggestion to you uh, in this is that there's no need for us to get into conversations when demons do speak, particularly when, as we've heard, we already know they are lying, deceiving spirits. They're under the command of Satan, who is the deceiver. Um, Jesus doesn't get into a conversation with this evil spirit. He doesn't reason with it. He just says, be silent, be muzzled, and then he says, come out. It doesn't really matter whether the demon speaks or not. What matters most is that Jesus speaks. And Jesus spoke very decisively here. Come out. The evil spirit must leave at the command of Jesus. There's no doubt. There's no fear. Will it really happen? Is there enough authority here? James 4.7. James was one of Jesus' younger brothers. He writes later on, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's a promise whether you're praying for yourself or whether you're praying for others on mornings like this morning. And friends, our, our ability, as I said, we're, we're all disciples. We get to partner in, in this, in the spread of the domain of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our ability to make the same authoritative commands as Jesus is not based on our own authority. It's not based on our experience, whether you've seen lots of this stuff or never seen this before. It's not based on the volume of our prayers or the sternness of our tone as we pray. Every time we pray in this way, we are simply submitting ourselves to God. We're making our plea. We're fixing our eyes on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We're welcoming his presence, his authority, to continue what he's already started in his kingdom mission to set people free. We're just lining up with what he's already doing in the world around us. And so this story finishes with verse 36. The people saying, what is this teaching? Mark 1.27, what is this? A new teaching? It may strike you as strange, some of the things we've talked about this morning. As we've said, particularly if you've not brought, been brought up in a culture where this stuff gets talked about. It may seem unusual. It may even seem a little bit frightening for some. It may be you've never heard this before. Or, or perhaps you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, but you've never understood this is just a part of the mission of Jesus Christ. Either way, our response is just to be amazed at him and to eagerly follow him, to embrace his teaching, all of it, and to put it into practice in our lives. Verse 37, news spread all over the region, throughout the surrounding area. When, when we put his teaching into practice, news about Jesus will always spread and grow. Friends, if Jesus really is present 
amongst us. If there really is one in our midst, and we've invited him this morning, if there really is one who has authority to set people free from sickness, to release people from demonic oppression and all kinds of bondages, wouldn't we want to make him known? Wouldn't we want more people to know about him uh, and to bring people to him? I, I guess as God writes new stories in our lives, as we've heard from that prophetic picture earlier. That's what this teaching series, now build up to the Love Prawley Summer Outreach in June, is all about learning to, to welcome the presence of Jesus and to invite others simply to meet with him, both in and out of the church. So I'm going to invite you to stand, and, and uh, Bill and the guys, maybe you can come and help us just begin to play something wonderfully Jesus-centered. Listen, we're just coming to Jesus now. When we come to Jesus, there's no fear. We're not preoccupied with the enemy. We're aware of his schemes, but we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's keep our attention. Don't start your conversations. We're going to go for tea and coffee in a moment, but Jesus is here. There's some very, very important things he wants to do. Let's not lose the moment here. Let's just give Jesus our attention. He's present. He's the deliverer. He's the one who's come to set us free. Just close your eyes for a moment, will you? Whether you are aware of a specific demonic pressure that the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to today, or whether you just wanted to come and worship the one who has all authority, whether you're coming with a physical sickness this morning and you're not sure is, what's the root of this problem, either way, we just invite you now, Lord Jesus, come and have authority in our lives. Come and bring fresh discernment. But Lord, whether we know or don't know, we just welcome you right now. We, we worship you right now. We're so happy that you're at the centre of this gathering. And we thank you that where you are, there is a release of authority to totally transform our lives and to make us more like Jesus. We thank you that you're here to bring cleansing and freedom right now. And so we worship you, Lord Jesus. Let's just begin to sing to him. Bill's got something for us. In a moment, we're just going to pray a prayer that we can all participate in. But let's, uh, let's give Jesus some attention, hey?